Okay, welcome to the church at Bethel. My name is Josh Burnham, one of our elite, the lead pastor here, and one of our pastors. If if you watch the video, I just want to prove to you I I'm more than a head and hands. Like I have, I have a I'm not just a floating head. I have a torso. Um, I like that video. Don't wear dark shirts on those days. Reminder of that fact. Um, if you're new here, we have several new families. We're not going to make you stand up. Uh, we're not going to sell you a used car warranty or swampland in Arizona. We simply want to thank you for being here because we know this. You might be here because of an invitation. You might be here because of circumstances. You might be here because it's been a glorious week or a difficult week. But you're ultimately here because the Holy Spirit is working in your life. So we want to give glory to our Savior because you are here. So we're going to welcome you by thanking God for your presence. So church, we'll do that. And if you're watching online, that's for you also. We have many people who watch online for the very first time or who are um, sick or immunocompromised and can't attend physically. So if you're worshiping with us online, welcome to the church at Bethel. Today we are continuing our journey through the book of Revelation. And it's a series we've called Hidden Revealed. And you say, well, where did you get that name? I love it. Well, John gave us that, right? This is the Apocalypse of John. The word apocalypse or revelation, reveal, means to make what is hidden uncovered. So I stole that from John himself. Revelation is given to believers to help us understand our world spiritually. It's not given to make your world difficult or to create fear in your life. It's written as the Bible was written to give you hope in the midst of difficulty. And if you're here, if you're new here, this is what you missed. The first five chapters ask this question, who is worthy? And we know that the answer to the question who is worthy is this glorious lamb slain, wounded, but risen because the lamb reminds us that Jesus Christ is the only one worthy to receive your worship. Chapter 6 through 20, which is where we are now, answer this giant question. Who can stand in the judgment of the Lord? And the answer is the same. Only the Lamb can stand. As we saw last week, only those who are marked, sealed by the blood of the Lamb are worthy to stand in the judgment of the Lord. And today in chapter 16, we face competing worldviews. Competing worldviews. Said another way, from the saint's perspective, the, the inquiry is asked in this way. Revelation 6, verse 10. The saints actually ask this question. They say, Lord, the one who is holy and true, how long until you judge those on the earth and avenge our blood? So the saints are asking, Lord, how long until you judge people? This is a holy perspective on God's justice. When you include God's holiness into the framework of His justice and judgment, you ask the question, God, why do you wait? How long? But sin gives us a different perspective. Sin and a broken world removes God's holiness from the equation. And so a broken world asks this question. Is it fair and proper for God to unleash any suffering upon the world? So if saints ask, God, how long until you judge? A broken people, 
people who have been marked by the beast and not sealed by the blood, ask this question. God, do you have the right to judge us? And Revelation 16 answers that question. Does God have the right to judge anyone upon the earth? Now, if you think this is a silly question, I'm reminded that we all have moral codes. Even those who would espouse that God is not real and Jesus is not the Son of God have a moral code. Let me give you a quick story. In 1992, in South Dakota, an armed man named Dennis Lee Curtis was arrested. He was a robber, convicted of his crimes. In his wallet, police found a sheet of paper. And on that sheet, in his wallet, was written this code. To this armed bank robber. Number one. He said I will not kill anyone unless I have to. I agree. Number two. I will take cash and food stamps only. No checks. He didn't want the checks to bounce I guess. Number three. I will only rob at night. Number four. I will not wear a mask. Number five. I will not rob mini marts or 7-Eleven stores. We all have standards. Uh, Number six, if I get chased by the police on foot, I will get away. If I am chased by a vehicle, I will not put the lives of innocent civilians on the line. Number seven, I will only rob seven months out of the year. Um, the, The months are not given. Number eight, I will enjoy robbing the rich to give to the poor. Even this armed robber has a sense of morality. And when he stood before the judge, this is what we find. Mr. Curtis was not judged on the basis of his moral code. He was judged on the basis of the lawgiver. So he stood before the judge on the bench and was judged according to the absolute moral values of the system. I think many of us feel like Mr. Curtis. We all live by our code folded up in our billfold. And we say, well, God, I didn't rob for five months. God, I didn't rob 7-Eleven. God, only hold me accountable to my standards. But we realize God holds us accountable to His standard, not ours. Today's message is entitled, Don't Wait Until It's Too Late. Do not wait until it's too late. Let's read Revelation 16. I'll read the first five verses. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. And again, the world is asking the question, God, do you have the right to even treat us in your wrath? We'll find the answer today. The first went and poured its bowl on the earth. And severe painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. Highlight that. Mark of the beast and worship this image. The second poured out his bowl on the sea. And it turned to blood like of a dead person. And all life in the sea died. The third bowl 
The third poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of the water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, we will answer that shortly. Father, as we come into your presence, Lord, help us not live by our moral codes. Because we are broken people who have failed to live up to the standard that you have set. Lord, we know that each of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Lord, our best attempts are but frail shams. Lord, as we look into your holiness... We thank you that the blood of the Lamb was shed for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, that we can one day stand in your presence justified and made right because of Jesus Christ on the cross. So Lord, as we ask the question, is it too late? We are here today because you have given us a chance to turn from our sins and turn to you once again. Lord, may we heed and hear the call of grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do not wait until it is too late. So we've looked already in Revelation. We've seen that the seven bowls, which follow the seven seals and the seven trumpets, are now the the Scripture's final judgment. And we see that in the bowls. Because what we're going to find in the next moments together, that although the seals and the trumpets include some appeal to repent... The theme of repentance is no longer here. Now we see people not desiring to follow God and to ask forgiveness of their sins. But we see the fullness of wrath poured out on a life of sin that hardens a person. And we see this in the bowls. So the first bowl judgment reveals a a pivotal eternal truth. These bowls specifically are poured out upon the earth. And that's John's language of people who do not follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if you miss that, that's okay, because John says it two more times. Look at verse 1. He said, these bowls, this wrath is different than the seals and the trumpets. This wrath is poured out upon those on the earth. In verse 2, who have taken the mark of the beast and who have worshipped its image. So said another way, Revelation makes it very clear that these final plagues only affect those who have rejected Yahweh and who have rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Which reminds us that there will be Christ followers on the earth in this moment. Whether the church has been raptured out and people have come to faith or whether the church is not physically raptured and they are there, there will be a supernatural protection on people who have not taken the mark of the beast. If that freaks you out, remember that the seal of Jesus Christ is mentioned first and more often than the mark of the beast. Remember in Revelation, marks are a sign of property, seals are a sign of design and sonship and daughtership. I would rather be sealed by Jesus than marked by the beast any time. This is the hope that we have. So the first bowl poured out on those who are not Christ followers results in severe, painful sores. 
It's the same word used of, of Lazarus. I don't know if you remember the, the rich man and Lazarus, the parable Jesus gives in Luke 16. Lazarus was in severe pain and he's crying out, longing for healing, longing for someone to, to help him and to give him food. But the Bible says all that would happen to Lazarus is the dogs would come lick his sores. Can't imagine how difficult it must be to have these sores all over your body. But those afflicted would be un- unable to walk, sit, or lie down without excruciating pain. This wrath reminds the world that life as they know it would be no more. And that's all that's said. We quickly go to the second bowl of wrath. It's poured out unto the sea, and it's a reminder of the plague in Egypt. The water turns to blood. If you remember, the seals affect 25% of the world. There's a small percentage. The trumpets affect about a third of the world. But now we see the fullness of God's wrath on in complete display. Look at what happens to the sea. The second bowl in verse 3 poured out upon the sea. It turned to the blood like of a dead person. And how much of life? All life in the sea died. This event must come at the very end of time. Because the fullness of God's wrath is now measured out. The sea was the lifeblood of the Roman Empire. The, the, the empire that ruled and reigned during the time of John's writing. During the time of the New Testament church and the time of Jesus Christ. Not only did Rome get food supplies and commerce, but its geography necessitated the sea for trade. Because Rome is actually in Italy, which is a boot, it's a peninsula. So for Rome, this would have had devastating effects. Again, the second bowl of wrath reminds the world that life as they know it would be no more. So maybe you're thinking, okay, there's severe sores and the sea is destroyed, but at least we have our drinking water. Verse 4, the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became like blood also. Again, if the trumpets had a partial effect, the bowls have full effect. Devastating effects on the world. Those who have taken the mark of the beast or have rejected the seal of Jesus Christ upon their life. In 537 A.D., Germanic Goths cut off fresh water supplies to Rome. And ultimately Rome toppled. The fall of Rome fundamentally was the loss of her fresh water. It's a reminder that we need fresh water to survive. A rule of thumb is that you can go without drinking for around three days. This bowl, this wrath is a reminder that life as the world knows it, will never be the same again. And you think that's bad. Well, how could God do this? This is not fair. What did the world do to to justify this wrath? Well, we have a word about judgment in verse 5. I heard an angel of the water say, You are just the Holy One. 
The one who is and the one who was. Because you have passed judgment on these things. Because they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets. You have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. It's that lex talionis, right? A eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. What you do will be measured to you. And I heard the altar say, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. I think if we're honest, we read this and you're struck by the severity of God's holy wrath upon the world. You say, how could a loving God do this? And I don't believe you're the only one asking that question. Because I believe the angel is speaking because the early church, maybe John himself, who's seeing this vision and writing, is thinking internally, God, how could you do this? God, is this fair? God, is this just? But the angel reminds us that God's judgment is always wrapped in his holy nature. Did you hear what the angel says in verse 5? I heard the angel of the water say, you are just You are the Holy One. We cannot remove God's holiness from His nature. Because any God who ignores unholiness is not a God. But it's a deity made in the image of man. And because Yahweh is holy, He must pass judgment upon transgression. For God to ignore my sin would mean that He is not God. So God's judgment is wrapped in His holiness. And it's said again in verse 7, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The word true and just are covenantal language. It means that God is reliable and He is faithful. I think of it this way. Yahweh's judgment is always fair and it is always just. So I want you to know today, God will never judge you unfairly. He will always judge you according to what you deserve. Here's the struggle with that. I know what I deserve. And even on my best day, I, I deserve judgment because I do not measure up to God's standard for my life. Yahweh's judgment results from His holiness and will always be fitting and Right. Church, remember this. Because Yahweh is holy, He cannot ignore our sin. And because Yahweh is just, He cannot excuse your sin. So how can a loving God judge sinners? That's a broken perspective. What Scripture says is this. How could a loving God ignore your sin? Because God knows that sin is not what He has designed you to live in or to have in your life. And with this parenthetical note about justice and judgment, we see the next bowl. Verse 8. Bowls 4 and 5 go together. The fourth bowl was poured out on the sun and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. People were scorched by intense heat. Let's pause. Maybe you're thinking, okay, now the world is going to see. They're going to be in pain and there's going to be suffering and people are going to cry out and say, God, forgive us. 
We have wronged you. But the people blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues. They did not repent and they did not give him glory. Verse 10, the fifth poured out his bowl upon the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed at their tongues because of the pain and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they did not repent of their works. The fourth bowl allows the sun to a scorch with intense heat. And I, again, I believe because of the extreme manifestation of these plagues that these are at the very end of time. I believe we are in the end times, but I believe this is the exclamation point on the end. And it's the reminder of what the saints have been promised in chapter 7. Jesus says to all who have been covered by the blood of the Lamb, they will no longer hunger or thirst and the sun will not strike you with scorching heat. Although the wrath of God is poured out upon humanity and sinners, those who have been sealed by the blood will be spared. The fifth bowl brings extreme darkness. And I don't know what that looks like, but it's such an extreme darkness it brings pain. There's a heaviness, there's a, I believe, a psychological difficulty through this darkness, so much so that people are gnawing at their tongues to find relief. Now we have a note about repentance. You see, God's reminding us through the judgments that judgment always should lead you back to His holiness. And judgment should always lead you to repent. And so we ask the question, God, is it too late? So did you notice the response of the fourth and fifth bowl judgments? The people who follow the beast blaspheme the name of God in, in verse 9, and they refuse to repent. Listen, church, I believe if you're struck by the darkness, if you say, wow, this is the worst sunburn there's nothing that we've ever experienced like this. In the sores and the blood of the sea and the blood of the, the waters. You think, I can't believe, how bad is it going to be? I submit to you that the reaction of sinners to judgment is worse than the judgment itself. Rather than call out to a God who will relent a God who loves, a God who is holy, a God who is just. Sinners choose to indict God for their sin. They blaspheme Him. Like Pharaoh who hardened his heart. Like the rich man who wanted to warn his family from the grave of Lazarus. Like those who would rather curse God than cry out to Him. The world hardens its own heart. And as I read this, I, I ask, are some of you here? Are you going through difficulty? Have you said no to the voice of God? Maybe you've been sitting in a worship service before. Or you're driving your car. Or you're reading your scripture. And you knew that you're not a Christ follower. And there was something that was calling out to you. Come to me. Repent of your sins. And you said, no, I can't do that right now. I, I can't walk an aisle. What would people think of me? I can't get baptized. Lord, I, I, I can't step out on faith. And every time you say no to God, 
your heart gets a little harder and a little harder, a little harder. I plead with you today, do not wait until it is too late. I believe that you are here today because God wants you to hear the message of Revelation 22, verse 17, where the Spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who desires water, drink freely. You are hearing this message of judgment because it is not too late for you. Come to repentance. Come to Jesus. Listen, God's judgment is not a gleeful vindictiveness because of your sin. God is not saying, aha, finally I get to give them what they deserve. I will pour out the bowls of my wrath. I believe God is weeping over sinners. And he's saying, come home. Do not harden your heart anymore. Turn from your sin. Turn from the way that leads to destruction. And follow my son, Jesus Christ. I let him die for you. So that his blood would seal you. That his blood would cleanse you of your sins. Do not wait too late. Those who follow the beast will receive the fate of the beast. And as we see this note on repentance, we now see the sixth bowl. It's really not a plague at all, but a preparation for the end. The sixth bowl was poured out on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for kings from the east. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming from the dragon's mouth because frogs are unclean animals. For they are the demonic spirits performing signs who travel to, to the kings of the whole world to assemble them. For the battle of the great day of God, the Almighty. Look, I'm coming like a thief, Jesus says. Blessed is the one who is alert and remains clothed so that he may not go around naked and people see his shame. So they assembled the kings of the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Now, let me remind you again, next week is our family worship time where all of our kids, all ages will be here. I'm preaching on the battle of Armageddon. That is the sovereignty of the Lord right there. So come next week for that sermon on Armageddon. The great river Euphrates was the eastern boundary of the promised lands. It was also the border between the Roman and Parthenian empires. So for anyone to cross the Euphrates River would have been an act of war. So John here in the sixth bowl is envisioning the day where all world empires will join together with no natural barriers united against Christ. Church, that day is quickly approaching. The day is quickly approaching. And in the midst of this, we have this beatitude in verse 15. One of the seven beatitudes of the book of Revelation. Look, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who is alert and remains clothed. Now, if you think that the bowls of wrath are bad enough, imagine trying to walk through the plagues naked. Jesus is reminding us 
that these bowls of wrath are not simply warnings to unbelievers. They're reminders to believers. First, do not join forces with the world. That will not end well for you. But the challenge is to remain clothed. For the Jews especially, nakedness was shameful. You can see that in Isaiah chapter 20 or Ezekiel 16. We even have it in literature that if a member of the temple police was caught asleep, they would take off his clothes, strip him, and send him away naked and disgraced. That's a reminder, do not sleep in church. It will end bad for you, man. It's Jesus' way that we're reminding his people that we are clothed in righteousness. Robes that are dipped in the blood of the Lamb. Church, the more the world clenches its fist at Jesus, the more the world blasphemes him, the more the world curses the name of the Lamb, the more you must stay alert and live holy lives. Because the world is hardening his heart, but God is softening our hearts. The world is blaspheming, but we are blessing. Stay alert and dip your robes in the blood of the Lamb. And then we have a seventh final bowl poured out. Verse 17, the seventh was poured out his bowl upon the air. And a loud voice came from the temple. And from the throne, it's it's a voice you might have heard before and a phrase you might have heard before that says this, it is done. You might have heard it sound like this on the cross. It is finished. And I believe that when the voice spoke, Satan trembled because he knows what that means. 18, there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, pearls, Peals of thunder, severe earthquake occurred like no other since. The great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon, the great, was remembered in God's presence. He gave her the full cup with the wine of his fierce anger. Every island fled, the mountains disappeared, enormous hailstones, each weighing about a hundred pounds, fell from the sky on people, and they blasphemed God for the plague of hail, because that plague was extremely severe. All of these cosmic manifestations are but reminders that the natural world is disintegrating under the judgment of God. But I want to remind you, church, although this is the end of the natural world, it does not signify the end of God's kingdom. Because God's kingdom is eternal. It transcends all that is broken. So what do we do with this wrath? What do we do with this judgment? I want to come back to the question we asked Firstly, is God's judgment fair? Those who ask that would would ask it this way. Well, if God loves me, then he has to give me a chance to repent. And the biblical reminder is God has. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you are here today because he is calling you close. 
He let Jesus take your place on the cross. That you could be brought back into relationship. That sinners can be forgiven. That the rebellious could find peace. Is God's judgment fair? It is always fair. Because He is holy. And He is just. We would not even know what fairness is if it was not for a holy God. Yes, His judgment is fair. And this third in the series of judgments, this is the third series of seven, is a reminder that when it gets to the end, still some would say, God, I would rather harden my heart and blaspheme you and die a miserable death than give you glory. Come to Jesus. Do not harden your heart today. Secondly, does the Lord have the right to judge you? Maybe you're asking that question. Well, who does God think he is? John MacArthur answers that in a sermon and he says it this way. Sinners still live with the illusion that they can make a judgment upon Jesus Christ and avoid Jesus making a judgment upon them. You judge Jesus wrongly and he will judge you rightly. The question is not, what will you do with Jesus? The question is, when you see him face to face, what will he do with you? You can judge the Messiah all you want, but that's a small question in comparison to who Jesus is. He will always judge you rightly. When you stand before him in his presence, what will Jesus say about you? Would he say to you, Well done, good and faithful servant. Or will he say to you, depart because I don't know you. You have rejected me, you have taken the mark, and you have rejected the seal. Church, God has every right to judge us. And he will always judge us in truth and fairness. Fourthly, I think we need to ask this question Thirdly, how will you respond? Everyone knows John 3.16, right? For God so loved his world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But we forget verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned but who does, whoever does not believe is already condemned. Because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Do not stand condemned in your sin. Believe in the name of Jesus Christ, church, and be saved. That's the appeal of Revelation. And lastly, is it too late? Augustine said this one time. He said, Augustine's an early church father, living around a hundred years after Jesus Christ, he said, God has promised forgiveness to your repentance, but he has not promised tomorrow for your procrastination. I think some of us hear this and we still think, well, I have tomorrow. Pastor, you're not speaking to me, but you're giving it to that person. I have time. I need to get my life in order. I have tomorrow. No, you don't. What if tomorrow never comes? God has given us today 
to turn to him. He has given us today to follow him. Is it too late? No. But the Lord will not promise tomorrow for your procrastination. So whether you're listening at home, if you're here in person, if you need to give your life to Christ, do so right now. And we have some that say, well, I, I would, Pastor, but I don't know how. The language of heaven is, is called prayer. And you can pray a prayer like this. You can repeat this prayer, but this, these words will not save you. Jesus saves. But he speaks the language of repentance, doesn't he? You can pray a prayer like this. God, I'm sorry. I've sinned. I've been living by the moral code folded up in my, in my wallet. And I've fallen short. Forgive me. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose again. And I'm committing my life to follow the Messiah today for the rest of my life. Here's how heaven responds to that prayer. Let he who is thirsty come. Let he who is weary come. May we not clench our fist and blaspheme. But may we open our hands and say, Father, I need you today. If you desire to respond, you, you can reach us online. You can fill out that connect card. or We'll have pastors right now, and they will stay here after the servants. Come. Boldly declare your faith before the world. Because Jesus is worth it. Father, we thank you.